0: Hangry, are you all familiar with that term? Hangry, it's, it's basically a mashup of hungry and angry, and it's basically what it sounds like. And it was two years ago now that it became an official word in the Oxford English Dictionary. Now, how many of you here have been hangry in your life? How many of you? Let's be honest. Okay, so most of you. I mean, this is a pretty common phenomenon because what happens is when we haven't eaten for a while, our blood sugar drops And then our body starts producing hormones like cortisol and adrenaline. And all of it begins to kick in and and make us act a little bit differently than we normally would. And now some of you, maybe you don't know me. Maybe you just see me up here every week and you think that's the pastor. He's very holy. He's very set apart. He is so patient and kind. Um, And maybe you think I don't ever get hangry. But about a month ago, I would have proven you wrong. Because about a month ago now, Emily and I were waiting on pins and needles for our son to be born. And he, he was late, and like every day, we're like, Today's the day. No, it's not. Today's the day. No, it's not. And the, the stress level, it was just high in the house because we just didn't know when we were going to have to rush to the hospital. And so one evening, it had been a long day, and I was hungry, and it was about 11 o'clock p.m., and I said, You know what? I need a milkshake. And so I drove down from my house to Cookout. And I don't know if you've been to Cookout yet on Georgia 20. It is amazing. And they have the best milkshakes. Better than Freddy's, better than Culver's, better than Chick-fil-A. All of them combined because they have over 100 flavors to choose from. So I'd go to the drive-thru, place my order. Mint, Oreo for Emily, peanut butter, banana, fudge for myself. So I place the order. Don't hate it until you've tried it. And uh, milkshakes come out quickly drive home, you know, 15 minutes, get home, give Emily her milkshake. Uh, She takes a sip of it, looks at me, I take a sip of mine. These are not the milkshakes we ordered. The milkshake I had, it was like a vanilla with chocolate chips in it. I'm like, who gets a basic milkshake like that when you have 100 flavors to choose from? So I I was starting to get angry. I mean, I was already kind of, you know, anxious Now I'm hungry. Now the hanger is kicking in. And hers was wrong too. And it was now like 11.45 at night. I wasn't going to go all the way back down and get it fixed. But I really wanted a milkshake. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to call and I'm going to talk to them. And Emily gave me the look. She gives me sometimes of, hey, remember you're a Christian and you're a pastor. And uh, I was like, well, they don't know that. And so I look on the receipt. There's no phone number on the receipt. And I was like, wow, yeah. They probably wouldn't put the phone number on there because they don't want people calling. But I looked online. They have one corporate phone number. So I call, nobody answers. Leave a voicemail. And I leave, I, I leave a voicemail. I didn't say Reverend Jonathan Anderson. I was like, this is Jonathan Anderson. Here's my phone number. I need somebody to respond as soon as possible to what happened at this restaurant. Hang up, trying to cool down. And to my surprise, actually 15 minutes later, Uh, somebody calls me back from the corporate office and uh, they apologize. and she was very patient and uh, she said, hey, what's your address? I'm gonna mail you free coupons for milkshakes. And so I began to come down a little bit. I went and I got an Eggo waffle, put some peanut butter on it. (laughs) My hunger went down a little bit and now that I'm I'm well fed and rested, um, I love cookout again. You should go there after church, support them. But as the commercial said, Sometimes, hunger can get the best of us, and we're not ourselves when we're hungry. And now, you might think this is a modern phenomena, or this is like something we just made up, like a lot of stuff we do these days. But actually, when you go back into the Bible, you'll find at different times, hangry people. And at the passage we're going to look at today in Mark's gospel, we're, we're going to find a time when the disciples, I think, are a little bit hangry. They're a little bit frustrated with things going on and, and, and they're, just, they're just not quite acting like maybe themselves or like we would normally think they would. And maybe you haven't read the Bible a lot. Maybe you're new to the faith. Maybe you think that the disciples were these holy people who are perfect. Now we lift them up and we, we call them saints and all this. And maybe you think they were just amazing people, but actually when you read the Bible, you'll find out that the disciples were actually people just like you and me. And one of the things I love about the Bible is actually when you open up the Bible in the Old and New Testament, the biblical writers, they don't sugarcoat these people and their actions. I mean, there are people doing wise things and foolish things, and they're all recorded here. There are people who are humble and people who are hateful. And they're in here. There are people who are patient and people who are prideful. And and one of the things we see with the disciples is that even though they've spent so much time with Jesus and they're learning to be more like him, they still mess up. They still have room to grow. They're still trying to figure everything out. And, And I don't know about for you, but for me, that gives me hope. It gives me hope that maybe I can change too. Maybe I can grow as well, and that even though you and I were not perfect in love yet, we can go on this journey like the disciples and we can make mistakes along the way and trust that Jesus will transform us. And so, the passage we're going to be looking at this morning is actually from Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to begin in verse 30. And while you're opening them up on your app or Bible or whatever, um, Thought this was funny this week. Somebody came up to me and they said, "I like, I like what you're doing on Sunday morning," and I was like, "Okay, what is that?" Um, and he said, "I like the way you're tricking people." And I said, "I don't, I don't like. How are we tricking people? It's not intentional." And he said, "I like the way you're tricking people into reading the Bible as we go through Mark, and you have those little booklets available for people to read in the reading guides." And I was like, "We're not. I was like, I'm not trying to trick people into reading the Bible. I want you to read the Bible." So. Uh, if you're confused, we're, we're going through the book of Mark. We have guides. We want you to read it with us. Um, and that's because I believe that reading the Bible every day is a great <laughs> spiritual discipline. It is a place that God meets us. God gives us life. It's it's through him meeting us here that, that we get abundant life here and now. And we learn the way to eternal life in the future. And we are able to be transformed and to become more and more like Christ. Um, so if you missed it, that, that's the goal of this series. And uh, we have reading guides because we're reading through Mark every day together. And there's some in the back corner over here, some in the lobby. We'd love for you to jump in with us. And each week I'm preaching on a passage that's coming up. And so this week you'll be reading this passage from Mark chapter 6. And so as we open up God's word together, would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the gift of your word. And I pray that as we open it up and discuss it together, reflect on it together, Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you. For we recognize that you are our rock, you are our redeemer, you are the good shepherd. You are the one who has compassion on us, even when we're slow to get it, and even when we're slow to understand. And we ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So a little context As we get to verse 30, earlier in this chapter, Jesus has sent out the disciples two by two in pairs to go and to do ministry in the region. And he said, hey, when you go, don't take food, don't take money, don't take anything with you. I want you to go and live off the hospitality of others. And so they went out and Jesus was basically sending them as an extension of his ministry. And so they go and they're teaching people and they actually begin doing miracles all over the region. And so they've kind of been on this on-the-job training mission. And now they've returned and they meet up with Jesus to talk about all the great things they've seen. And so in verse 30 we pick up here. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. And then because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, okay? So they're hungry. And he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and let's get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and they ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So see what's happening here. The disciples, they've gone around. They've been doing ministry like Jesus. And just like the crowds are beginning to gather around Jesus, now people recognize the disciples. And they're like, oh, that's the guy who was teaching as well. That's the guy who was doing miracles. And so they get on a boat. And as they're going on the Sea of Galilee, people are running along the shore, going to the place where they think they're going to land. And so when Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. And by this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now, as one of my friends told me when he was reading this passage I think he's right on this. When we look at what the disciples say here, when they say, Jesus, hey, look, let let the people go. Let them go get something to eat. They've been here a a long time. I mean, it kind of sounds like maybe they're hungry. Maybe they're tired. Maybe they were looking for a break after they've been doing all this ministry and the crowds have come in. And so they're doing that thing where they're like, Jesus, the the people need a break. When really... They need a break. But they don't want to tell Jesus, Hey, Jesus, you've been talking a long time. We're kind of tired. We don't have as much compassion as you. So so they say, look, send the people away to go and get some food because this is a big crowd that is gathered here. But Jesus answered them. He said, you give them something to eat. Which is not the response they were expecting. And... If you think about what they had just been doing, they'd just been ministering, and he said, "Don't take any food, don't take any money with you." So they're like, uh, "We don't have anything to give them." And then the the calculators in their minds begin going, and they begin calculating, "Okay, how much? I mean, would it cost to buy food for all of the people gathered here?" So they begin doing these calculations, and they say to Jesus, they said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Well, how many loaves do you have, Jesus asks. Go and see. So they go out into the crowd, and when they find out, they say to Jesus, five. Five loaves and two fish. And then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And he also divided the two fish among the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. And the number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. And immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. So, like I mentioned earlier, Whenever I come across the disciples in the gospel, it gives me a little hope that there's hope for people like me. Because in this story, I mean, we see that the disciples didn't quite get it. The disciples are a little frustrated. They're a little hangry. And the disciples kind of approach everything going on in the scene with a mindset that I often have as well. And it's a mindset of scarcity. It's a scarcity mindset. I mean, when Jesus comes to them, and, and says, hey, you feed the people, their immediate thought is, we don't have enough. We don't have enough to feed these people. And then when they start calculating how much money it would cost, they're like, we don't have enough money. And then when, when Jesus says, hey, go go see what's out there, and then come back with five loaves and two fish, I'm sure they, they, when they were presenting them to Jesus, they were kind of thinking, here you go, Jesus. Here you go, here's what you asked for. And they're probably thinking, Jesus, we told you there wasn't enough. I mean, they were just seeing the world through this lens. And I don't know about you, but I can relate to them here. Because a lot of times I go through life with a scarcity mindset as well. And I often approach Jesus this way. And I think we often approach Jesus in our prayers this way. Because a lot of times we're like the disciples. We come to Jesus in prayer and we say, hey, Jesus, please help me. I don't have enough money. the things I need. Jesus, I don't have enough for the things I want. Jesus, I don't have enough time left on this earth. I need more. I don't have enough of health. I want more health. I don't have enough faith. I just have a little bit of faith. I need more. I don't know about you, but you're like, Jesus, I, I don't have enough energy for all of this. I don't have enough time in the day to do what I feel like you're asking me to do. Jesus, I don't have enough skills, abilities, and training to to step out and to serve other people. A lot of times our prayers basically to Jesus are, Jesus, I don't have enough. We come to Jesus and talk to him about what we don't have. And this is very natural for us because our culture is a culture of where this mindset of scarcity is constantly pushed upon us. I mean, if you turn on the news, especially network news, where you know, they have to find something to talk about all day long, I mean, you'll often hear the commentators are like, hey, there might be a recession coming up, and, and people who haven't saved enough, they're going to be messed up. Now I get all these articles. It's like, hey, if you're a millennial, you need to be saving this amount each month if you want to retire and stay alive, right? They're like, you need to save this much. And a lot of times we're thinking, well, I don't have enough. I don't have enough to do that. And then you just think about advertisers. Advertisers constantly prey on the fear that lies behind the scarcity mindset. And they say, hey, you know what? You're not pretty enough, but if you have this product hey, you know what, you're not efficient enough, but if you have this new time management tool, hey, you know what, you, you, your kids aren't well-behaved enough, so here's a new program. We're constantly told that we're not enough. We get on social media, and then we look at our families and our lives, and we think, wow, I thought things were going okay, but now it feels like I don't have enough. Like we're we're not mature enough, we're not significant enough. We're not going on cool enough Vacations. And actually, a study was done where they interviewed millionaires in America, and over half of them said they were afraid of their money running out. They said, We're afraid of our money running out. We're afraid of a recession, a job change, and ultimately, we're afraid that in the end, there's not going to be enough. This is a mindset that a lot of us live with. This is the mindset that the disciples had when they came to Jesus. And when they came to Jesus and they offered him the five loaves and the two fish, I mean, they they come and they say, hey, here you go. And if we're honest and we look at it realistically, there wasn't enough. I mean, five loaves and two fish is not enough to feed 5,000 men. That's not counting women and children but they come to Jesus anyway. They say, hey, here's what you asked for. Here's what we have. Here you go, Jesus, happy? And Jesus takes the bread and he does what any good Jewish person would have done in that culture. He says a blessing over it. But Mark says something interesting. Instead of looking down like would have been normal in a blessing, he looks up to heaven which is a sign something is about to happen. God's power and presence is about to be made manifest. He looks up to heaven. He gives thanks. He breaks the bread, gives it to his disciples, and has them distribute it throughout all the people. And as they go throughout the crowds, these people gathered in fifties and in hundreds, what they discover is that there is enough. And not only is there enough, There's more than enough. There's an abundance. I mean, as they go around passing out the five loaves and two fish to all of these people, to thousands of people, it says that they ate until they were satisfied, which in their culture would have been rare in a culture that was filled with famine. All these people, they ate as much as they wanted until they're satisfied, they're happy, they're laughing, they're enjoying this beautiful green grass. And the disciples go with their baskets, they collect leftovers, and they have 12 basketfuls in the end. They discover that there is more than enough. And I mean, I don't know about you, but this is one of the most beautiful stories in the Bible when I, when I come to it. And actually, this is the only miracle that is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, besides the miracle of the resurrection. This is the only miracle. And this week as I was studying it, I mean, I couldn't help but wonder, when did the miracle happen? When did the miracle happen? Did it happen when Jesus said the blessing over it? Is that when it multiplied? Did it happen when it went from His hands to the disciples' hands? Did it happen when the disciples were passing it out to the crowds? Is that when the bread and the fish multiplied? Did it happen when the people were passing it around with each other? Actually, when you read the the different accounts, it's not exactly clear of when the miracle happened. But one thing is clear. When the disciples stopped focusing on what they didn't have and instead handed over what they did have, Jesus was able to make it more than enough. When they gave Jesus, when they took what was in their hands and they placed it in his hands, the, these small things, Jesus took them and did something big In the kingdom of God with them, he did more than they could even ask for, more than they could even imagine. He fed 5,000 men, plus women and children. And what I want you to see here is this is God's nature. God loves using things that the world deems small and insignificant and weak and, and meaningless and worthless. He loves using small things for great things in his kingdom. I mean, think about, in the Old Testament, David versus Goliath. You know that story? David was small compared to Goliath. All he had was five smooth stones, and he was able to defeat him. Think about the nation of Israel. Compared to other nations during that time, they didn't have a lot of weapons. They didn't have a lot of war powers. They didn't have even a lot of people. But God used them to bring about the salvation of the world. Think about Mary, the mother of our Savior, Jesus. She was young, poor, unwed. Nobody ever heard of her. And God used her. To give birth to Jesus, and soon after this, we're we're going to be journeying to Good Friday, and then to Easter. What we're going to find is that ultimately Jesus is crucified on a cross by the Roman government. And as he was hanging on the cross, what they were thinking and saying is, they were like, "Hey, this guy is weak." This guy is a worthless ruler. This guy, once he dies, he's going to be insignificant. Nobody's ever going to think about him again. But on the third day, God raised him from the dead. And now he rules as Lord over all of the cosmos, as our Lord and as our Savior. God loves taking small things, things the world deems small and insignificant, and using them for great good in his kingdom. And I think Jesus this morning is asking us the same question that he asked his disciples. I think the question that Jesus has for you and for me this morning is how much bread do you have? How much bread do you have? I think Jesus this morning, he's saying to us, hey, I know you don't feel like you have a lot of time. I know you don't feel like you have a lot of energy. I know you don't feel like you have a lot of patience. I know you don't feel like you have a lot of faith. I know you feel like you don't have any abilities worth anything. But what do you have? What do you have? He's asking us that question because when we hand over what we have to Jesus, he is able to make it more than enough. He is able to do more than we could ask or even imagine. And what I'm talking about here, in the words of one of my friend, Matt Leroy, that, what I'm talking about here, it's not the prosperity gospel. This isn't the belief that if you sew a dollar into the offering plate just a minute ago, that you're going to get a check for $1,000 in your mailbox later this week. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about the prosperity gospel. I'm talking about the participation gospel. I'm talking about the fact that God chooses to use people like you and like me, people who view ourselves as insignificant. He chooses to work with us and through us and through the things that we hand over to Him. But for that to happen, these things that we have, they have to first move from our hands to His hands. And this is actually what happened with with Mother Teresa, somebody many of you are familiar with. When she was beginning her ministry in Calcutta, she went to the superiors above her and she said, I have a dream for an orphanage. I have a dream in three pennies. They said, what? Three pennies ain't gonna start an orphanage. Three pennies isn't gonna do anything. But she looked back at them and she smiled and she said, But I have three pennies in God. And with three pennies in God, I can do anything. This is what happened with a little girl at my last church named McLean Hermes. She was around 10 years old. She was starting to go blind later in life. And what she had is she had a passion to serve the homeless in Georgia. I don't even know how, how she learned about everything going on, but she had a passion to serve the homeless. She didn't have a car. She didn't have social media. She didn't have any of that kind of stuff. She didn't have much. She's 10 years old. But she had faith. and She had a father who had a Facebook account and a real estate company and she said, hey, will you help me? And so they put out a call. They said, hey, we want to collect shoes for people who are in need. And, and since Uh, she started when she was 10 years old. She's collected over 15,000 pairs of shoes and given them to different organizations in Atlanta to help people in need. I also have a friend in Greenville, South Carolina, a professor of mine at at Furman, and I go stay over at his house sometimes. And he doesn't have a lot of extra time to serve people. I mean, he's very busy doing lots of different things, political things and other stuff. But what he does have is a house and at one point in their marriage, he and his wife said, hey, we have this house and we want to dedicate it to God and we want our house to be a place of hospitality. And so every time I go over there and we're eating breakfast together, like some random person comes up from his basement. And I'm like, what's the story with those people? And sometimes it's a single mom and her children and they just need a transitional place to stay. And so he lets them stay there. Other times it's somebody who's just had a rough patch in life and they need help getting up off their feet, he lets them stay there. Sometimes it's just college students, they can't afford their own apartment yet, they're looking for a job and he lets them stay there. He, he has a basement and God has made it into something beautiful. You heard Donna's announcement earlier about the blessing bags. I mean, when you look, when you look in your bulletin at the little handout, it's easy to look at that list and think, what is this like? Travel size shampoos? Chef Boy RD. How is that going to help the racism in our community? How is that going to help human trafficking? How is that going to help people who are homeless? It's easy to look at, at these things and think, you know what, these are small and insignificant, but as we collect them, as we do outreach as a church, a lot of times the things we're gonna be doing, they're they're gonna seem small. They might even seem insignificant when we look at just all of the injustice and the brokenness in the world, but what we're doing as a church is we're trusting that when we hand these small things over to God, that he is going to make them more than enough. We're gonna trust that as we offer ourselves and what we have, that he can do it immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. And so this morning, uh, we're gonna share in Holy Communion together. We're gonna break bread as they did on that day. And I wanna invite the band to come on up. They're gonna play while we're preparing and, and while we're sharing in it and as the kids come in. And... As you come up for communion this morning, my invitation to you is when you come up in a spirit of prayer to, to not focus on all the things in your life that you're lacking right now. For just a brief moment, to not focus on all the things you don't have. Instead, as you come forward, I wanna invite you to think about those things that you do have. Maybe it's a few hours this afternoon, you have that. Maybe it's just a little bit of patience because your kids have been testing you already this morning. Maybe it's the ability to code computers. Maybe it's faith the size of a mustard seed. Maybe it's being an electrician. Maybe it's just a a desire for new people to come to know Jesus Christ. Maybe it's a, a hunger and a thirst For justice and for righteousness. I I don't know what you have this morning, but I want you to reflect on those things that God has given you talents, abilities, passions, possessions. Reflect on those things, and as you come forward with open hands, I want to invite you to offer them to God and to trust that He can take those things and he can do something beautiful and he can do something big with them. And so we're going to come up in, in just a moment, but uh, one, one final thing I want to point out as you, you begin reading this week and continue in the Gospel of Mark that you're going to discover is that when this miracle happened, the disciples missed it. Mark tells us that they didn't understand what was going on that day that even though they took Jesus five loaves and two fish and they came back with 12 basketfuls left over they didn't drop to their knees and say Jesus this was an amazing miracle actually they didn't understand they didn't perceive what was happening in their midst and I think sometimes that happens with us sometimes because of the lenses that we're wearing the the filters we're approaching life with a a scarcity mindset or a mindset that says God doesn't God doesn't really work anymore. Sometimes we miss the miracles around us. And so this morning as you come, also I want you to come with an openness to the Holy Spirit, with faith and with expectation. And so as we prepare for Holy Communion together, would you stand and sing with us as the children come in and join us?